if, if I have a day in my life where there's a chance that I can see an elk, that's going to be a really good, good day. day. Yes, it's going to be a good day. Yes, um, I had one of those days today, did not see an elk, but I was in a place where I could have, and mm-hmm. that made it a good day. And it really does make a difference. So you see, I'm, I'm happy for you, buddy. I'm happy. <laughs> Thank for you, it. brother. Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause I tell people that and they're like, why, you know, why are you moving? And I'm like, well, you know, we can talk politics and we can talk, you know, tired of being urban. Um, but you know, it's really, a lot of it has to do with me wanting to be around these animals and people will laugh and they don't understand it. And then I realized that I need to tell them the story and, and tell them what, you know, what's delivered from those animals. And it, it's such a great conversation, especially when I have that conversation with people that don't hunt or don't get the animal and they'll look and they're like, man, that's, that is just an amazing animal. And I'm like, exactly, you know, move me where they are and we're okay. These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SigSauer.com. What about your story do you feel like hasn't been told? man, I pretty much tell everything, brother. Um, you know, I, I, I'm an open book, right? And, and I try and wear my heart on my sleeve when it comes to hunting. And, and maybe I'm not the best at displaying those things um, and, and, you know, getting the message across in terms of how I value it and the reason, you know, that it's valued to me so much um, and, and what it's done to change my life. And, and in my opinion, uh, and it's factual, <laughs> make me a better person, you know, because of the pursuit. So when, when did hunting start for you? Uh, early twenties, early twenties. So, so, so before that, I mean, you're talking about a change. So what changed, like what was going on before you started hunting that, that hunting changed? You know, I didn't, I didn't understand myself one. I didn't understand or, or look at and respect the circle of life and the appreciation and respect for all life. I, I didn't have a clue. Um, and just, you know, some insights to that. I grew up in LA basin, right? It's, it's as urban as it can get. Right. Um, and, and people have their, you know, their jabs and their jokes about what, what LA is. And it hasn't always been as bad as it is, but it wasn't something that there was a ton of exposure to, but the things that, and I grew up poor, right. And when you talk about LA inner city ghettos, things like that, it's legitimate. Right. I want to hear about that. I don't know what that even means. Like I've seen, (laughs) I've seen shit on TV, but I don't know. You know, I, I grew up in a super rural place Mm -hmm. that in many ways is, is, the opposite of what you're talking about, right? You know, I, I didn't see people. I don't think I saw somebody that I didn't know until I was like a teenager. Right. And I know that's, that doesn't make sense because of course you're going to meet people, but at least these were people that like my parents knew, or like there was one degree of separation because it was such a small community. I feel like in a city, you're seeing people that you don't know constantly and every minute. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's a really wild thing to me. It, <laughs> so, so what's okay. it like growing up poor in, in LA? 
yeah, you know, you hear you hear those and, and maybe you have it. You hear the jokes about, you know, you get your butt in before the streetlights are on. And that wasn't because mom just wanted you in. That was because it got ugly. You know what I mean? Things were getting thick. Um, the the, the streetlights came on. The sun was down. And in and, and that time, I mean, that was a height of the height of the crack epidemic uh, in the 80s when I, you know, I was born in the 70s. But, you know, coming up in the 80s, man, it's the height of crack. And, you know, living in in the inner city in these urban areas, man, it was it was real. Right. You know, gang violence, drive by shootings. That's when and I don't know if you remember, but L.A. had a had a rash of uh, freeway shootings and, you know, just random, basically random freeway drive-bys. I mean, that was, that was life. So you got your butt in the house uh, or, or mom, you know, unleashed the wrath on you because uh, you weren't in. And it was, you know, there was danger to be had uh, if you were, if you were out after dark and, and some of that danger, you know, guys were told to get in, uh, they were out there causing the havoc and, and the danger and stuff. And I never, you know, fell into that kind of stuff uh, per se. I, I was a scrappy one. You know, I used to like the, like the throw them, but uh, never, how, how never into the that? violence end of it. Like, like, I don't how, know. It, it would be so much easier in, it, it seems to me like in some ways it would be safer to to get involved with a gang than to not because i'm sure you know, there there are guys trying to recruit you into that stuff i i, I there was and, and i i could think of several instances it was just something that i never i never got behind right i was never involved in i've always been very to myself um and and very pig-headed in things and how i see it i'm i'm even worse than that today but i do value what, what I, you know, I do value like our demographic, the hunting demographic, right? That, and that's one of the things I guess we could talk about, but that has kind of brought me to where I am in this whole thing. Um, you know, they say you find your people, that's my people. And that wasn't my people. Um, it just never did. It never impressed me. It never did anything. You know, I had uh, my uncle and, and a couple of my uncles, um, one would, you know, that's what we would do is we go fishing, right? And, and, I was, uh, I was a fisherman. You couldn't tell me any different. Um, I'd go to the little city lakes and, and whatnot and ride the skateboard and, you know, steal lures out of the, the pay less drug store. Cause I wanted that, uh, <laughs> that crank bait that I, you know, didn't have money for. And we, you know, <laughs> grab a lure or two and snuff it out, man. And <laughs> Do, doing crank baits instead of yeah, doing crank instead of doing crank. <laughs> um, you know, and then uh, my uncle, he's actually in Florida now, but he was an avid outdoorsman and man. And, and you know, he he introduced me to a lot of that. And I would hear this, you know, the stories of hunting, but I wouldn't back then you didn't you know, that wasn't something that we were involved in. I, you know, I was the oldest of all, like, say, the cousins. Um, so I'd get a little you know, I'd get a little piece of the elk steak, but I would never I would never get to go on the hunts. And then those stories always, you know, kind of stayed with me. And we'd go to uh, this lake in the the central coast, Lake Kachuma, and and I mean that my fondest memories uh, as a kid were were spent at Lake Kachuma, and not running around on my bike, you know, riding a skateboard and and running from uh, guys that were trying to take either <laughs> at any given moment. Um, and that that's really what I think that's what formed me. And there's times where you lose sight, right, as a teenager. Uh, piss and vinegar and it's about girls and parties and you know weed smoking and you know how many how many fights you can get in and not get your butt kicked type thing and uh i don't know man i just never wanted to be a victim of my surroundings you know what i mean and i and i think a lot of that was very subconscious i don't want to say that i had it that together as a kid but i knew it just never it never made sense to me none of it ever clicked i you know i had buddies that to this day, you know, that, that some of them are in prison. You know, I grew up with a, a couple of uh, brothers, twin brothers, and I remember seeing their dad and I was probably, I don't know, 23, 23 years old. And I had been hunting a couple of years and the wife and I were just starting our family and we started early. Um, and I remember seeing him, I went for a doctor's visit and I remember seeing their dad and I lived across the street from these, this family for years. And you know, asked and he looked at me and he was like, oh, my God. And we're talking. He told, you know, I mean, his boys were they were actually a year older than me. And uh, one of them was in jail for life. And one of them had been shot like 28 times, still running around as a gangster. And his, his new name was Lucky. <laughs> <Good grief. laughs> and, you sounds know, like he, that was, sounds like he'd been getting shot by a six, five Creedmoor. 
Yeah, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Shots fired, literally. Uh, um, so, yeah, man, it was just, you know, it was just something that I never, I never took hold of. And, and like I said, there was instances, you know, coming up where it was just like, you know, what, what do you do? Right. You, 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 you are influenced by your environment and I don't care where you are. That's going to happen. And can you, can uh, you remember any specific examples of that? Of, of like times that you felt like you made a decision that, that made a difference. Like, like you came up to a breaking point of, you know, if I decide this, it's going to take me this way. If I decide this, it's going to take me the other way. That, that real fork in the road type of decision. You know, not dude, honestly, at, there was points where that was a daily decision and, and, and that's legitimate. Um, no kidding. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not trying to, you know, I was probably, I'm going to say in the neighborhood of somewhere with 13, 14, maybe. And was outside and, and, you know, dude, I like to skateboard, right. You couldn't really skateboard in the hood (laughs) and, uh, and I'm doing that. And there's a guy hiding behind a bush and then that guy blows out. Well, then I'm like, what the heck? Right. And I, I look in the bush and there's a, there's a 45 and there is a toiletry bag and that toiletry bag. I grabbed it, both the 45 and the toiletry bag out of there. And I opened it up and it was full of these little, I don't know, quarter inch foil balls uh, immediately knew what it was. Right. That was just life growing up. Um, and there's a decision to be made there. Right. What do you do with this? Well, when you look around and everything you see is these guys doing that and these guys have that. And these guys are involved with this guy and look at them all over there, hanging out and having fun. And you're this little oddball kid running around, you know, wanting to ride a skateboard, doing it right next to the apartment building. There's a decision to be made. Um, And the decision was drop that S and get in the house. Right. And, and that, you know, those don't know why I made that decision. Probably, you know, uh, in, in that mindset, I was a punk. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that would be the mindset of that. You're, you know, oh, you just a punk kid or that's fine. But I think that those are the, those are the turns that define, you know, those type of decisions, you know what I mean? And they weren't always good ones, you know, getting in fights and stuff like that. I'd see somebody, you know, getting their butt whooped. And man, I like, I used to love to fight. That was my thing. Like, oh, if I could fight, I would fight, you know, like let's throw them. Uh, I had no problem with it. Get your butt kicked. Okay. I'll just come back again. Uh, you know, always, I, I enjoyed it. You look like a tough guy. I wouldn't want to fight you. I, yeah, I'm not going to say I'm a tough guy, dude. I, I would probably cry if I had to hit you now. <laughs> <laughs> We'd both cry, man. You'd, probably, you'd get arthritis. You'd hurt your hand. It hurt my yeah. face. I, 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 but you know what I mean? It, it's just, there's all these things and you see it and, you know, my, and I, and I, I don't want to take credit for everything. Right. I had a very, it was me and my mother for years before she remarried. And I had a, a very, very, very good mother um, as, as good as she could be with the tools she had as a single mother trying to make it with nothing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. with, with ve- barely nothing. And she would support you know, those efforts of me wanting to go fishing, you know, Hey, I want to go fishing. Okay. She'd grab me and, you know, we drive and she'd take me and drop me off at, you know, whatever little city lake or pond or whatever it is. I was trying to cast spinner baits at bass in, uh, and I'd spend the day by myself fishing, you know, and, and, and the support of, of her and like my uncle, uh, and spending, you know, summers. And then my granddad with, you know, we'd go fishing and I mean, the fishing was in every, every weekend activity for me with, you know, with one of them or by myself. So it, it, you know, it was just, it was something that never, just never clicked with me, man, never clicked. And I always found something about being out fishing. Um, And I remember, I mean, the the reason I got enamored with hunting is we were on, and I don't even know that I truly knew what hunting was at that point, but my uncle had a, Glastron tri hole, and I, I can remember the boat like I'm sitting there, right? And it had the the brown flake paint with the uh, the long kind of shaggy carpet, um, and the carpeted deck. And I remember being on Lake Achuma, and we were fishing one of one of my uncle's bluegill holes, and 
I'm dropping mealworms in. And the rule was don't, don't look in the water at your bait um, because you're not going to catch the fish that way. Just let them hit. I don't know why that was his rule. That was his rule. <laughs> and uh, seeing pigs and deer on the side of Kachuma Lake and just being enamored, man. Like, oh, I love, I, again, I don't know where the hunting part of that came from, but, but there was something about that that drew me to those animals. And I, I've just always kind of remembered that. And, and just, you know, those memories of being out, my uncle Glenn used to take me backpacking and, and, and the one thing I will say is if you, if you make the little bit of drive to, you know, the Angeles national forest, there's a lot of ground. And, and he used to take me, we go on, you know, weekend backpack trips and, you know, get in, you know, the back country here. And I enjoyed that stuff, man. I enjoyed putting that backpack on and going out there and, and having him steal whatever little, you know, good treats that mom packed in my pack, my Oreos. <laughs> Tell me, <laughs> we're backpacking. You can't eat Oreos. So I'd have to eat, you know, Vienna, Vienna sausages, little uh, bean and weenies. And uh, he'd take my Oreos, man, <laughs> go lay in his tent and eat them all. And uh, I caught onto that pretty fast. But it was always those things that stood out more to me than being the cool guy, um, you know, being that guy that needed that approval at that age. And, you know, my teen years were, were slightly different. You go through high school and that's what matters. Right. And, and, you know, what shoes are you wearing? What clothes you got on? How many friends you got, you know, are those friends in this, you know, in this group, blah, 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 you know, athletes and all that stuff and lost sight of it. Right. I lost sight of what the outdoors meant to me and, and those experiences that, to this day, stay with me and outweigh all that experience. And when I could find myself back to it, I did immediately. And I found that, that void that, that was, was there because of, you know, those, those teen years right after, I think right after high school, you know, I, I, cause I've been, I've been in the water a long time and I started free diving and I free dove for whew, man, years and years. I mean, that was pretty much, I'd say in my teen years, that was what I did more than, than anything else was free dove and then, uh, and fished. And I kind of lost that stuff. And then when I was able to get back, I got back, I went crazy free diving and I've always had the hunting bug. And then, you know, by that time I started to have the means. So I started doing my budget hunts and, and really fell in love with the entire experience. The, waypointing if you will that that hunting brings when you step off the beaten path and get your butt kicked and that soul searching that it delivers you know to your front porch so to speak and i'm not sure that's my you know my long way about you know i'm not even sure if i answered the question <laughs> yeah I, I feel like you are let me ask you this though and I, and I know this is a sensitive thing but do you do you feel like race was something that affected your life growing up you know, it, it's funny. Okay. And, and, and hopefully people get offended, but hopefully people realize what I'm saying. It, it did. And it didn't. Okay. Um, and what is your heritage? So I'm, I'm Creole is, is what it is. So, you know, down South it's black, uh, French and American Indian. So where it affected me. And I think this is why the, I'm okay with being alone because where I lived, I was too light to fit in. Okay. And then when my mom remarried, we moved away from the city and now we are rural and I was too dark to fit in. So there was this middle ground where I found myself in alone uh, and I had to figure that out. And I think that's why some of the teenage years were rough. You know, I mean, your nuts are dropping anyway. So there's always, you know, those types of issues. And I don't care if you're, you know, urban or rural um, you know, guys, guys tend to find it when there's issues, right. Um, if they're struggling through stuff. So I don't know that I don't harp on it. Uh, but there, there are differences there, you know, when you don't fit on either side of the thing, right. You got this color spectrum and you're <laughs> yeah. and we hone in on the ends of the color spectrum so much that, that when you're finding yourself in the middle, there's, you know, literally the gray area in the spectrum, uh, you don't know which way to turn. But I don't know that I really, I don't want to say it didn't bother me, but it didn't, I did not let it define me. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that that couldn't define me. Uh, and I had to 
say this is who I am and be okay with either side of that. So I don't know if you caught it or not. Did you see the report that Onyx just put out on uh, all the stats that they got from the new hunters of last year? No. It was really, it's really, really interesting. So everybody saw that there was more hunters last year. Certainly felt like there were more hunters. It was harder to draw tags by a significant margin, it felt like. Um, and basically across the board in the United States, hunting came up around 5%. I'm going to get some of these numbers wrong. So don't shoot me because I can't remember the entire report, but I do encourage you to look it up. Um, you can find it on their website. But one of the things that I found interesting was that of all of the new hunters, 17% of them were minorities, which I think is more or less consistent with uh, the demographics across the United States, probably a little bit less. So, you know, hunting at, especially Western hunting is, is largely a, a Caucasian sport. Do mm-hmm. you feel like you've been accepted or or not or do you feel like that that race thing like your skin being too light or too dark is that bled into the hunting community <laughs> people are gonna get mad at me so uh can yeah. i cuss okay because yeah, you, you can my grandma listens to this show she she calls okay. me after every show um Uh-oh. but she's heard me cuss before she, she okay. she's a grown lady grandma i'm sorry um you know, but, but this is going to trigger me who gives a fuck. Right. And that, and, and I really, I'm glad to see minority level increase in this. Right. And, and to make this a hunting issue and not a socioeconomic issue to make it a, we're not represented issue. And sorry, if you couldn't find it, I fucking found it. Right. There's traditional, minority hunters across this nation look at down south right i mean i i have stories from my grandparents my grandmother hunting right i don't have an issue with it but i remember and 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 you'll understand it a little bit more um when my kids were young i think my daughter was probably 10 or 11 somewhere in there my boy is five years younger than her and they come to me their their school's right across the street dad what are we and i immediately knew what they meant i said you're taylor a guy and they go, no, what are we? And I go, well, what are you asking? Well, my friends are asking what we are. And I said, you're Taylor and you're Guy. And anybody that asks you anything outside of the person you are is not your friend. So just walk away from them. That's how I raise my kids, man. You know what I mean? We, we get trapped in this shade of bullshit for what? And now we're under this guise of we have to support everybody in the demographic Uh, Because it's unfair. It's not unfair. It's not hunting's fault that you didn't introduce, you know, you don't know about hunting. Look at, look at LA. I have a buddy Caesar, right? And Caesar's been hunting now for three or four years and he's a Hispanic guy, uh, had no idea about it, you know, got enamored with, with Aaron Snyder uh, and archery and uh, what's the knock on guy Dudley. Sorry. <laughs> um, got enamored with those guys. I met Caesar at the range and this guy was shooting for four or five years. And it's like, I don't think I'm ready to hunt. You know, he had no idea and he caught, you know, grief from his family, but people don't understand when you, when all you see is concrete glass and steel and you don't know that there's opportunity there, they don't understand, but why that has anything to do with the color of your skin is beyond me. And, and why bring that for me, and, and going back to what I said about how it, it's made me a better person and how it's caused me to soul search and bring those problems to my doorstep and have self-realizations and take some of my demons and literally crush my demons because of the outdoors. That has, dude, Mother Nature, bears, the predators, whatever, however you, they don't give a shit. I don't need, as much as I'd like to hunt with James Nash, I don't need James Nash to I to identify with me, to make me a hunter, to give, to allow me to see value in the outdoors. I don't need that fucking approval, right? The approval that I need is that I went out, I set out to do something I accomplished or I failed, but then I got back up and I kept striving for the next level. I I don't, I, I don't know why that has taken such a stronghold. I'm absolutely thrilled that there are more people that are, figuring out that they could go do it. But I wish 
some of those people wouldn't holler about how their race has affected them not to do it. If it's socioeconomic, that has nothing to do with hunting. That was your situation, but you found the outdoors. So just share that finding with someone else without starting their journey saying, well, you're a black man or you're a Mexican in the outdoors or whatever your race is. You know, I, I just don't understand how it even makes sense in the conversation. Like I'm brother, I'm glad that you're out in the outdoors. I don't give a shit if, if you got a rainbow tattooed across your flipping face, it, it doesn't, where does that matter when we're out there? I just don't want there to be anything that holds somebody up. So if there's, if there's something that, that you tell me that helps me understand what could be keeping somebody from doing it. And, and I can slay that dragon for them, then I'm going to do it. Right. But I also understand that if you grew up the way you did, okay. in a really urban area that getting into the outdoors is, is a long bridge, right. And it's a scary thing. And people that live in town are scared of spending a night out in the woods In the woods in the wilderness, that's been a scary thing for a long time and for good reason. Okay. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a wild place where bad stuff can happen to you, but bad stuff can happen to you anywhere. The likelihood of something bad happening in most of their neighborhoods. I shouldn't say most of that's a very broad stroke. Sure, right? some, a lot some of, of, yeah. Right. Some of these, some of these bad neighborhoods, you are more likely to have something bad happen to you there than you are on the mountain. Sure. But just to, to help me understand it, I try to do a little position swapping. And if you were to take me and put that, put me in that neighborhood that you grew up in, I would feel very uncomfortable. I would feel like, man, I don't know if I can make it here. Mm -hmm. And the reality is I could, right? I would figure it out, you know, and, and maybe something bad would happen. Maybe it wouldn't, but probably I would figure it out because people are super adaptable. We're a really adaptable species. And that's why we live all across the world because we've adapted to do so in all these different cultures and environments. And we're, we're a really remarkable species in that way. But if there's just, if there's anything that's holding you back, like try to find somebody who's made it from where you are to where you want to be and talk to them because more than likely they're going to be like, Hey, this is how I did it. These are the mistakes I made along the way. And I encourage you to do it. And, and honestly, what there's nothing, nothing to be said about the color of your skin or your upbringing or, you know what I mean? Like if you, if you have a passion for something, if you want, or just want to try something, I mean, there's nothing that really outside of us and we are our biggest, our, our worst enemies, right? We limit ourselves more than anybody else will. I just don't, I don't just, I don't see where it ties, man. I have a hard time with it. Um, you know, again, the socioeconomic part of it. Well, I'll tell you what, like uh, my stepdad, right? He, I skate, snowboard. I want to hunt. He's like, you know, boy, that's, that's redneck shit. What are you doing? You know, that's white boy shit. You go get on a surfboard, that's white boy shit. It, it is, it's a cultural thing too, right? So it, because, because he wasn't used to it and he was segregated, literally his lifetime, he was literally segregated from these activities uh, because you couldn't do certain things. There's a difference there, right? But then that's passed down generationally. Um, there's a mindset there that you can't do something because of, of the stigma on it or it being, like you said, you know, predominantly, uh, 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 I'm not going to say Caucasian, a white thing. I don't like using the PC. I feel like that's PC. I don't care if James Nash is a white boy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is thin ice, you know, it's thin ice for me to, to step on. But even, even in that case, I still am willing to like take the risk and have the conversation because it's important to talk about um, so. all this stuff is important to talk about. Even if the answer is it's not that big of a deal, that's not what you should focus on. Like, I'm still glad that we hit the subject. Mm -hmm. So going from there, all right, you're an unlikely guy to end up in the elk woods. Okay. Just by the numbers, you, it's unlikely that you make it from, from the streets of LA into the woods with a bow in your hand, trying to convince an elk that you're an elk. So how did that happen? I mean, you're, you're fishing, you see some, you see some pigs and some deer on the side of the, um, the reservoir or whatever it is. You're like, man, I kind of want to shoot one of those. Like, how did you take the step? <laughs> I convinced my wife to marry me, bro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, so, 
so my daughter was a, uh, she was a pretty high level soccer athlete and, um, you know, looking at, well, that that's kind of a way jump forward. So looking at the opportunity here in California, as I started delving into how do I, how do I partake? How do I get out and do this? You know, you, you get your, your, your big game digest and you see all these different animals, dude. And, and I didn't know anything about Roosevelt's Rocky mountains or the Thule's, but I saw that I could apply to hunt them. So I just started applying to everything. Didn't know a daggum thing about them. And as I started exploring elk, um, it didn't trigger like it has in the last few years um, because it was so hard to get a tag. I didn't realize I could hunt out of state for probably seven or eight years. And I was, I was stuck for a while. I was hunting pigs. So I could hunt pigs year round and I didn't have to draw anything. I go down. And I think at the time, um, I think it was three tags. Maybe it was two, it was two tags. You get three Bobcat tags. And I wanted to hunt all the time. So it was like, Shh, give me, give me as many pig tags as I can. And I'm going to chase. So I had this, this thing that I could just chase and learn and chase and learn. And then it got to a point where it's like, okay, I'm pretty daggum good at this. You know, I can, I can arrow pigs. I can find pigs um, and didn't really have a, a huge issue with that. And I kind of graduated into chasing, you know, deer and, you know, it was that, that period of the season where, you know, let's, let's step up the game. I could still hunt pigs. So I'd have the pig tag. And then I tried to find areas where there was, you know, where I can hunt both deer and pig. Right. So now I'm, I'm, you know, out there on these, on these two tags at the same time um, and being more efficient in it. And, you know, over the time hunting, hunting the pigs, I'd see deer and then, you know, started to, started to really hone in on that. And then I had, so this, part of it so I was hunting I was doing good I'd bring you know my daughter was a high level soccer player we'd have barbecues and stuff and I'd bring pig or I'd bring deer and uh met a gentleman uh Tom and his daughter played soccer with my daughter in the same uh the same club and he's like oh man you know you, you hunt and I'm like yeah dude I, I bow hunt primarily and he goes you should uh come to Colorado with us uh we hunt elk and he started showing me these pictures man and and the first pictures he showed me was of the landscape it wasn't even of the animals and it was just like wow right you see the, all the color change in the aspens right and and it was just like i got to do that and looking at doing it the way they were doing i couldn't afford it at the time you know it was they were going and they were they were on private you know so they're spending at the time probably 5 to 7 grand and that was something that I wouldn't take money from my family. I always put them first. Didn't matter if I had it or not. Nope, I'm not spending that. It's too much money. So it was something that I just put on the back burner and just kept hunting, you know, kept hunting pigs and deer and applying here. I figured if I can get a tag here, it's only going to cost me a few hundred dollars. I can save up for that. And, you know, the family, the table wouldn't fill it, so to speak. And then the as time went on and I started going, oh man, my points are climbing, right? My points here are getting up there. I'm going to start really looking at this animal and, and try to, you know, learn this animal. And the wife and I, one year were driving up to go snowboarding. I think we were, we were going up to Mammoth. So we were on the 395. Uh, I think we were just going through Lone Pine or just past it and hit the brakes. She, you know, oh, I hit the brakes and we're in a, probably, I forget what that Honda Accord was, like a 92 Honda Accord and uh, hit the brakes, man. And there's 300 head crossing the road. And that was the trigger right there. When I saw that animal in front of me, 40 yards, that was the trigger. How do I do this? How do I get after this animal? Um, and it was just like, I gotta, I gotta figure it out. And I just started looking at everything I could. And then that's when I, you know, I hit Tom up and I'm like, Hey man, how do you know, where are you guys going? And what's this, what's that? And still I felt like it was out of touch dollar wise. And, um, I'd say that was, I think a year went by. So I was like, I told my wife, every penny that you bring in your purse, I'm stealing it. I told my kids, you guys have lunch over quarters, dimes, put them in this jar. And, uh, Every, <laughs> if they left the quarter sitting around, dude, I'd grab that quarter and I'd put it in that jar. And I was determined within two years to go hunt elk. And I had saved, I mean, le legit saved like a thousand dollars in change, just under a thousand dollars in change and singles. So I could pay for an elk hunt. And, uh, 
had an opportunity. Uh, I talked to a guy and he goes, Hey man, you know, I was at the archery shop and he goes, you know, yeah, we're hunting Wyoming and you know, hunting elk and blah, blah, blah. And we're, you know, we're going in as a group and we're hunting on this property. And again, I couldn't afford what they were hunting. I said, man, I can't, I can't do $4,000. And he goes, well, if you want, you know, to apply with us, uh, we got enough points, you know, we'll be happy to put you in the group and you just, you know, do, do what you do, what you can do. So I applied with them and and got lucky, man, my first year applying for elk. And that's what landed me in Wyo. And, uh, dude, I, you know, went through all the maps and I used to Google everything, right? I, Google earth every, that's how I found deer areas. I Google earth and you zoom in and somebody posted a picture and there's a deer, I'd go hunt the area. And I kind of did the same thing. Uh, and then Wyoming is crazy because it's so checkered. And I found, you know, where I could, where I thought I can get in. Um, and I was planning to go hunt and, uh, <laughs> there was grizzlies and I was like, Nope, not doing the grizzly thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and they were, it wasn't wilderness and, and, you know, while you can't go in a wilderness as non-res and was talking to a guy at one of the little, uh, taverns and he said, yeah, you could try this. There's walking access and said, okay, found me a little camp spot the next day, opened the truck door and elk were bugling dude. And it was, it was downhill from there. Um, and I haven't looked back since. <laughs> so I feel like we're, we're, we're still on one of these first questions. So we've okay. got a good image of what your life was like before. Okay. Now, now we have it happening. Okay. You're, you're in Wyoming, you wake up, there's elk bugling, you have an elk tag, it's happening. What's your life like after that? Like what, what changed? in terms of life in general? Sure. Who you are as a person, like anything, like what, okay. how did it change you or did it? it? It did. It did. Part of that, my, my kids, my daughter graduated. She went off to college. My boy was in high school or just going into high school and I wasn't coaching anymore. I wasn't going to sporting events all weekend, blah, blah, blah. So it gave me an opportunity to, increase my knowledge, my time, my skill sets, and, and really pursue the things that I wanted to start to pursue a little bit heavier. Um, because I didn't, you know, when, when she was playing soccer, we'd, we'd be at tournaments every single week. And I think we had three months off or three weeks off a year. And that first hunt, I, I think really did it right. And that was, it was kind of, uh, I walked in, met a guy, walked in, we go in in an hour after, you know, gray light, there's a bull arrowed. Um, I'm glad. And I hate that story to a point. And that bull run off. He died. Couldn't find him. We lost blood. Um, and he was poached out. And that was, I think that was the catalyst, right? I mean, just, to, just that roller coaster of emotions was like, I have to do this all the time. I have to improve. And as much as I can blame the guys that rode up and, scabbed my elk i look at shot placement right and i'm like man i'm a damn good shot with my bow but as i replay i have that on video and as i replay that i'm like okay that's a little bit high and further back than i wanted so how do i improve upon this right and dang when i was blood trailing this guy my lungs were taking a whooping so how do i improve that um my calling stank right i had <laughs> I tried to be, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm bugling, right? And it's just like, I didn't know I was, I should be saying anything. Um, but I knew where I wasn't getting responses uh, and where I was getting responses in, in whatever I call that first year calling. Um, so it just made me come back to the drawing board and say, I'm never going to have another elk run off and I can't recover or, or risk that again. And that's the, I don't, I've never not recovered an animal. I've never not missed an animal or had any issue up until that point. And I mean, you're talking years now, right? I mean, you're, you know, I started this in, I think I was 23. I'm, you know, I'm pushing, shit, I just made 47, dude. I hate even saying that. Uh, it's kind of weird. Um, so you're, you know, years of not missing an animal, not recovering an animal. Um, and, and having that happen, it was just like, that's all she wrote. So an elk is weird for me. I started going down the road and I started really delving into this animal and the social interaction. Um, 
and watching the improvements in myself as I was at the gym for, you know, three, four hours a night, getting ready for it and shooting my bull and being more meticulous in shot placement and really refining the, the, the technical aspect of my game and understanding archery more, uh, you know, trajectory, things like that. Just really, it just opened the door up. And then it was just consume, consume, consume. Well, at the end of the day, I'm like, damn, I feel better. I'm a bit smarter and I'm ready. I'm ready to go do this. And I think I had a conversation with you and I was like, dude, I thought I deserved it. Um, you know, and, and you put in all that work and you see these improvements and it's like, I'm grinding, I'm doing the damn thing. And then I realized, and I think I realized it after our conversation, I said, damn, I really said that. I think I deserve, I thought I deserved it. You know, and I think it was at, it was at Hunt Expo, dude. It was at, it was at the SIG booth. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm going after him this year, bro. I, you know, I deserve it. I worked my butt off. And after that, that realization hit me and it's like, I don't deserve anything. I got to go earn all of that. I wish I didn't say that to James right now. And that, that was another one of the realizations, but you know, in, in terms of the, the change, man, I, I go into the woods and I can be carrying the stress of life on me and the pursuit, like I said, it brings it to your front door. Um, and it makes you check yourself, right? It, it, those, the struggles and the challenges and as cliche as I can sound about that stuff, it, it just, it makes you leave it there. Either you're going to open the front door and allow yourself to walk out, or you're going to leave the package on the door, keep the door closed and any, you know, close the wood door behind the screen door, so to speak, and never have any growth. And, and just the feeling of that growth and that self-improvement, that's a constant, that's been a constant, the improvements that I see and, and my wife and I have a great marriage. She's, she's, I'm lucky. Like I married up in, in more ways than one. Um, but to see a light come on from her when I get back and to realize that, wow, that light is me because of these improvements. I, I, I can't get enough of that, man. You know, as much as I like chasing the animal, I love chasing self-improvement and the betterment that I've found in chasing that animal. And can I be better? Hell yeah. Well, I, you know, I got a long way to go. That's really beautifully said. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll fully agree that you, uh, you married up your, your wife is awesome. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, you, I distinctively remember meeting her. Um, this, she's, she's a jerky fiend, right? Yeah. Oh, she could eat some jerky. Yeah. Yeah. I remember she was shopping down all the jerky she could find. Yeah. On yeah man. Is good, good place for it. We, she, you know, what's she, funny as I think we spent $250 <laughs> on jerky. Hey, money well show. spent. Money well spent. <laughs> that's only like a pound of jerky, anyways, right? That stuff. That's crazy, expensive. right? That's why I was like, "What are you doing?" And you, we bought some. We bought some, and and it was refrigerated. And we're like, "Well, you know, if you're gonna keep walking around, I think I had episodes to do." And they were like, "Just come back and get it." And it was like seventy dollars of jerky, and we never went back. And we're on the airplane. I'm like, "Oh no, we just gave them seventy dollars." <laughs> well. I didn't make it to sheep show this year. Last time I was there was a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. I can't even remember. Um, but we had a, we had a big night out in the, out in the casinos and stuff after the last night of the show. And I'd gotten all the way back here to Oregon and started unpacking my stuff. And I found a receipt from the casino that said that they owed me like $1,700 Oh um, man. Yeah. So I left, some, I don't know how much I spent to get $1,700 from them, but yeah, definitely Sounds left like some on the table. Copious amounts of scotch on that one. Yeah. There was some scotch involved. Gosh, dang it. They bring it to you. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They anyways, do. anyways, um, is your wife going to make it to expo this year? Yeah. She's been the way I actually just uh, got our passes today. Cool. I just reached out to get our media passes. So yeah, she'll be there. She enjoys it. And, you know, she's a non-hunter and she's been going out into the woods with me um, these last couple of years chasing elk. And, and that's been phenomenal. And she knows what it means to me. Uh, and this is part of the married up part, right? She knows how important it is to me and the improvements and, and how much I love it. And, and she's right there filming as I'm podcasting and helped me with the tech stuff, you know, while I go through all that. So it's uh, phenomenal. And she's made some really good friends, I guess, in the industry. Yeah. Um, that she goes and enjoys some time with and whatnot. It's a great show too. I really encourage people to, uh, to check that one out. Um, dates. What is it? Uh, 10 February through 13th, 10 through the 13th this year. Yes. Yep. 
and it's nice this year, right? It's, like it's opposite. Yeah, it's opposite the uh, the Portland show. Yep. So that'll be nice. You know, I think that last year it was they were at the same time. So it kind of hurt. Yep. Yeah, I went straight from Portland to Expo last time. It wasn't last year. It was the year before that. Year but before, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do encourage people to go if you're if you're in the area or if you're interested. It's a really friendly show. Um, easy to walk around and you'll meet a lot of a lot of cool people. And it's a great opportunity for me to connect with people. And I'm sure it's the same way for you. I'm sure people are coming up to you and being like, Hey, you know, I really like listening to Western contours. You know, this was my favorite episode. And, uh, you know, they just want to shake your hand and see you. And, and, and by the way, for those that don't know guys, the host of, of Western contours, he's one of my favorite voices in hunting period. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tremendous show. You do such a good job and, you know, I've been attracted to it from the very beginning and, uh, yeah, just, I can't encourage people enough to go, go check that one out. Do you feel like if there's just like one introductory episode for people to listen to, is there anyone that stands out in your mind that they can figure out whether they like it or not? You know, I, and it's changed so much. I would, I would have to say probably one of the most recent episodes, um, you know, to call it 264 on, you know, on up, I think 266, I'm doing these whoppity episodes, but uh, I, you know, I've done a couple with Jim Huntsman uh, and, and Joe Gillia, where we're just kind of digesting and venting, you know, on things that, that we, we feel like we can improve in, in a hot topics and stuff. But I think if, you know, if you're interested in understanding where I am, and I think, you know, I, I think with podcasts, right, people connect with the host and the message, uh, before they connect with anything. And I think that these, you know, 260 up, I think those will give you guys, uh, if you're interested, a good idea of who I am um, and, and what, what I value in terms of, you know, hunting and our demographic and, and what I really want the show to be about um, or listen to the new intro. I mean, you want to, you want a 30 second hit, it'll tell you what, what it's about in that 30 second hit with the new intro. Great. Uh, what's this year hold for you hunting wise? Uh, so I, I was, I was 1127th in line, got my Idaho tag. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So I, I had, uh, a 10 or 12 minute wait in line and, and got the Idaho tag and, uh, pretty happy about that. I, I haven't hunted Idaho. I haven't been to Idaho in years. What zone? Uh, Weezer. Okay. That's really close to me, dude. That's Is really it? close to me. Yeah. That's like yeah. three hours away. Oh, we may have to, uh, yeah. might have to speed over. I can help. I can Heck help. Yeah. Um, so I got Weezer and then my little buddy, Diego Otero down in New Mexico is going to be guiding me. Uh, so I'll be his first client on his, a guided hunt. And, uh, it's a great opportunity, right. To go down in New Mexico. It's a PLM tag. Of course, it's how I know I'm going. Uh, we've been planning that for a couple years and uh, absolutely love that kid what he's about and and i think you know he's he is he's a shining star in what we do um and, and i really wanted to support him in, in any way shape or form so we're going to go down there i'm gonna hunt uh hunt on that uh that tag and he's going to be my guide which will be fun because i'm working on him and is calling right now <laughs> he's like are you gonna call him I'm like no dude if you're the guide you're it's all on you man i'm gonna sit back and I might help you pack it out, but, uh, <laughs> you're the guide brother. Let's see what you got. Nice. Um, and then, uh, you know, we're, we're packing up to get out of here. <laughs> yep. Um, we'll be, we'll be, you know, moving. Um, oh, you are. so I'll have, yeah, yeah. We're getting out of here, dude. I'm, I'm done with this place. I can't, I can't hunt elk. I can't live with elk. And that's one of the things that, that is, it, it really is that important to me. I want to be around them. I want to know them. I want to understand them. And I can't do that on 12 and 18 hour drives. And it's about high time. Anyway, I, I'm tired of looking at concrete asphalt and, you know, shiny steel everywhere. So I remember, I remember talking to, uh, talking to Ryan made, who's a, a naval psychologist um, who's been on the show and, it was when I was still, I was still active duty. I was at wounded warrior battalion back in North Carolina and his office was next to one of the bombing ranges on base. And I remember talking to him and he's like, well, what, what do you feel like you need? Like, what is the thing that is going to like really make a difference in your health? And, 
you know, where the windows are shaking from this artillery hitting. And I said, doc, I just want to be in a place where I've got a shot at seeing an elk every day. Mm-hmm. And he, that was such a strange thing. I'm sure for, for him, but that was really what I felt. And it's something that I still hold on to today. If, if I have a day in my life where there's a chance that I can see an elk, that's going to be a really good, good day. day. Yes, it's going to be a good day. Yes, um, I had one of those days today, did not see an elk, but I was in a place where I could have, and mm-hmm. that made it a good day. And it really does make a difference. So you see, I'm, I'm happy for you, buddy. I'm happy. <laughs> Thank for you, it. brother. Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause I tell people that and they're like, why, you know, why are you moving? And I'm like, well, you know, we can talk politics and we can talk, you know, tired of being urban. Um, but you know, it's really, a lot of it has to do with me wanting to be around these animals and people will laugh and they don't understand it. And then I realized that I need to tell them the story and, and tell them what, you know, what's delivered from those animals. And it, it's such a great conversation, especially when I have that conversation with people that don't hunt or don't get the animal and they'll look and they're like, man, that's, that is just an amazing animal. And I'm like, exactly, you know, move me where they are and we're okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a part of who we are as a species. And I, I am thinking about this more and more uh, lately. And I've, I've heard that if you go back 60,000 years, that if you saw a homo sapiens, that was, you know, 60,000 years old, dressed like us sitting on a bus that you wouldn't think anything was up. Like they pretty much looked then like we look now. I just saw a really cool, kind of graphic that was built around a skeleton that was found in Morocco that they think is about 300,000 years old. And it's not very different either. I don't think that I would see that guy on a bus and think, wait a second, you're a different species. So only for the last, you know, few thousand years have we lived with agriculture before that hunting was everything about who we are being in a tribe was everything about who we were. And I, I really think that that's why when we get back into it, that it feels so right. It feels like this thing that we're craving that we didn't have. And then when you get it again, it's like, oh, this, this that's is part it. of who I am. And I, yeah. I think it's, it, it's part of who we are as a species. Yes, sir. I, there's, I, I, I couldn't, there's no way that anybody could make me believe that that isn't fact. <laughs> yeah. And I'm living proof of it. Right. I mean, it sets, it sets my soul on fire to, to talk about them, to see them, to think about them. I mean, it, I love my wife. I love my family, man. I open my eyes and it's like the most days it, it's something about the pursuit, right? Um, it, it's something about what I'm doing today to further that or further the move and, and how I can improve for September. What do I have to learn today? And, man, it's just, it's amazing. Amazing. I freaking love those animals, dude. Yeah. They're cool. They're a cool animal and they don't just let you kill them. No, (laughs) that's the plus with them. Right. I mean, can you imagine (laughs) what, what a different animal that would be if they just let you kill them? I mean, that might sound odd, but if it was as easy as it could be, um, I don't know that it would set us on fire as much. No. And people lose, lose, touch with that and they think that you know their hunt is all about them but to the animal it's it's life and death but it's life Mm -hmm. and death for them every single day we live in a time where our our health and comfort are fairly secure so it doesn't feel like life or death for us it feels like success or or failure maybe yes sir you know to be defined by everyone as as an individual but for that animal it's life and death but that's nothing new for them and and there's no pity involved, you know, that it's, it's, it's just life, but it, it's a beautiful life. Mm-hmm. And when you get to participate in that, something awakens in, in just about everybody that does it, that feels very right. Yes, sir. Absolutely. It is uh, it's next level, man. So if, if you were to break it down into one thing that if, if you could only improve one thing about your elk hunting game for the year of our Lord, 2022, what's it going to be? Knowledge of the animal. Okay. Biology, things like that. Um, calling. I, I've got, I've, I mean, I've, you know, I'm that drive around guy with, I got my little tube in the truck and it, 
gets blown and drive the wife crazy and the neighbors probably hate me. Um, you know, I can go to the bow range and I can shoot, 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 shoot. But increasing my knowledge of the animal itself and understanding their behaviors more, their biology more, um, that that has always been important, but it's been increasingly important. And and I not so much for the hunt, but just because of my love for the animal, my respect for the animal, my enamoration with the animal. Um, so that's really been a, a focus for me for a little while. Have you found any good resources for learning that yet? Dude, I read everything I can. Uh, I've been, you know, the last probably seven, six, seven months, I've, I've been looking at a lot of the older books um, about them. I, I, one of them that uh, the American elk or American Wapiti is, you know, was published in, I think the first copyright on it was 1951. And I've just been delving into that to kind of, you know, get some insight to the history. And, and it's been I mean, we, we consider three species of elk is all we really know. It's all we really talk about. And then, you know, you get back into that and you see that, you know, there's, there's six different um, species that they're talking about in there. And it was pretty impressive. And then to see their, their uh, sprawl on the landscape across the country um, was just, it's just absolutely impressive. So I'm really enjoying that one right now. So I had a, uh, a podcast listener send in, a scientific document about the Miriam's elk a while ago, the last time that I talked about Miriam's elk. Very, very interesting. And I saw you just posted a map that, that included Miriam's on it. Yes. So that species, as it turns out, was classified on only two examples of animals. Um, so they only had two specimens that they classified the species off of. And they were both bulls. And they were both spectacular bulls that people had kept around and they weren't classified until the 1900s. So these bulls had been kept around just these antlers for 30 or 40 years. And they were both very big. Of course, that would be the type of bull that you keep around, right? Mm -hmm. The genetic testing on them has shown that one of those was not genetically different from the Rocky mountain elk from say Jackson hole, Wyoming even though it was killed in the Southwest. Wow. One of them had some genetic tags that showed some differentiation, but upon your really closer analysis, there's a legitimate question about whether the Merriam's was a distinct species or not. Mm -hmm. um, and prior to reading that, I would have told you that not only were they distinct, but I don't think they ever went extinct. And I think that they probably became a hybrid with the elk that were reintroduced. Because at the time that they said that they were extinct, we didn't have aircraft yet. So, you know, to, to say there's no more elk left in the Grand Canyon or no more elk left in the mountains of New Mexico was a really big boast. That would be a difficult thing to know right. just by moving around on foot or horseback or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, man, I think that there's, there's this big this big open space, this big frontier of science that is left out there as we learn more about genetics and we can start actually figuring out, okay, is this a different species? Is, is it the same species, but there's something different about them? And it sure seems like it, like they look like a different animal down there. Right. The elk in Eastern Montana look different. Um, the elk in, in Wyoming and Eastern Oregon and Idaho, like they all look different. They act different, but I don't know. It's, it's fun to think about. I love the oh, science yeah. end of it. Well, I, so I was posed with something last, last September and a buddy of mine was saying, yeah, you know, they're our, our elk, he's in Southern Colorado and he hunts, you know, Northern New Mexico a bit. And he's saying that they're a, a Roosevelt hybrid. And I never, I never considered it. I never heard of it. And he's showing me pictures and I'm like, and, and maybe there's a little bit to that, you know, when somebody tells you something, you kind of see it. Um, and I haven't delved into it, but I'm, I'm pretty curious to, to get into that and, and, pick it apart a little bit to see if there's, you know, anything I could find that, that would lead me down to that, that thought process. But it was pretty interesting to see the characteristics and, you know, that, that rosy feature on that snout in the elk down there. It was, uh, it was pretty neat. Could you send me what, uh, what you had on the Merriam's? I'd love to read that. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can find it. Um, and I'll get it over to you. I don't know how legitimate Roosevelt's are as a species anymore. You know, by the by the record book, their their territory is divided by an interstate. Mm 
So if it's west of I-5, it's a Roosevelt. If it's east of I-5, it's suddenly a Rocky Mountain elk. And these elk cross the interstate. So there, there's a complication, right? Yeah. I don't think that it becomes a different species by crossing an interstate, but they have to draw the line somewhere, I guess. Um, I do know that the elk that were reintroduced to Eastern Oregon were brought here to Wallowa County, where I live, to a place called Billy Meadows. And it's a forest service ranger station. And when I was in high school and right out of high school, I actually fought fire at this, at this ranger station. And it's 50 miles of dirt road from the nearest town, which ain't much. It was such a cool place to live and fight fire. Like it was, it was just an awesome spot. But back in the early 1900s, they built these like 40 acre pens, maybe even bigger than that. And that's where they brought these elk in from Jackson hole. They brought them in on trains and then they put them in carts and um, brought them in wagons until they ran into snow. And then they fitted them with skis. And there's actually pictures of them bringing these elk in in cages on skis that they're pulling with horses and just massive amounts of snow, like five feet of snow off each side. And that's, those were the elk that they reintroduced here. They kept them in those pens for a little while to make sure they weren't bringing in any disease, kicked them loose. They tried that again. I think they brought in like eight head the first time, 13 head the second time. And those are the elk that really repopulated this area, even though we know that there were some elk that were still here. Now, later on, the elk population really crashed on the Oregon coast and they captured elk here in Willow County and they put them on trains and took them over to the Oregon coast to Astoria. So we know that there's Rocky Mountain elk genetics that are mixed in with whatever it was there. It's just tough to say what is a Roosevelt, what is a Rocky, are there still Manitoban elk? You know, it, they're fun questions to wrestle with, but it's really all hypothetical until you actually have the, the DNA and can break it down. Yep. And I have no idea. I don't know enough about DNA. Maybe that's my goal for this year is to learn more about DNA and, and actually start sending in samples. I w- I've always been impressed with, with your data collection and, you know, just, just taking the, uh, the feces in, you know, the scat. And so you can understand what's going on with, you know, with your herd there. I mean, that's always, that's always, you know, stood out to me um, because as we get into the elk hunting world and, and the knowledge base and things like that, a lot of it is about the technical call it stuff, right? Is, is that shooting or can I call or, or I should call it the superficial stuff, honestly. Um, so good up on you, man. I, I appreciate the mentorship and the education that you provide um, and delving into some of the topics that we just don't see much, you know, we don't hear a lot about and, and, you know, there's, there's efforts there. Um, I, I remember the first time we podcasted for my show and, and you're talking about your efforts, you know, the efforts there with the conservation and, um, some of the challenges that you, you found there and why you guys did what you did. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know that there's, I don't know an individual that I can say has done that much for that animal, um, to make sure that he understands and promotes them and understands what it's going to take to continue to see them on the landscape. So thank you for that. Well, thanks for saying so. You know, it's it's this classic um, Socratic conundrum, right? The more the more you learn, the more re- you realize you don't know anything at all. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and and that's fun as long as you're cool yeah. with with that and understanding. Like it's okay. I don't I don't know anything, mm-hmm. um, but I'm still curious and I can learn more. Gosh, that's that's the best feeling for me is like there's there's this frontier of knowledge, like there's so much more to learn. And, you know, I I encourage people to start learning just in case you're that type of person that 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 knowledge becomes a catalyst for or or an appetite for learning even more. Yes, Uh, it's it's a really great thing. Yep, Find that thing. Yeah. Whether it's elk or, you know, blacktail, mule deer, find that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you wear out one of them, then find something else. That's it. Well, buddy, um, I really appreciate your time. I'm so excited that I get to see you in person in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, yeah, it's going to be cool. I'm going to bring a bag of jerky for your wife so that she doesn't have to, <laughs> you know, spend all of her hard earned money on that, uh, on the stuff that's there. And yeah, it, it's going to be great. I hope to see 
hope to see a bunch of people at the Hunt Expo. I'll be at the SIG booth uh, the whole time. So stop on by. If you see me with the headset on, I've probably got a, an extra headset sitting next to me. Plop on down. We can talk about stuff. Uh, I, I like talking to people, but I really like talking to you, guy. And I uh, that, brother. Yeah, man. Just thank you for your time and uh, looking forward to seeing you. Thank you, man. You too. And uh, yeah, I'll be in the initial scent booth. So we'll, we'll definitely cross paths if I have to hunt you down. Okay. Sounds look great, buddy. To it, man. Thanks, man. So I found this old ad and there's like dudes dressed up like construction workers and a guy's got a jackhammer and there's a crane and, you know, they're moving all these big steel beams and stuff. Aladdin Stanley Thurks. Stanley, the tough, all steel thermos bottle that's completely dependable. They're showing this thermos like falling off this building and hitting all this other construction stuff. And built to take a bounding year after year. Get the top one. Well, it lands in a wheelbarrow. The guy grabs it out of the wheelbarrow. Now he's going to pour himself a cup of coffee. I love these cheesy old ads. And most of the time, like, they're lying to us, right? That's most of what marketing used to be was just, like, telling a lie or, or at least telling a version of a lie that, that made you think that you needed this thing. But I'll tell you what, when it's cold out like it is right now, the only way to keep liquid liquid and not freezing in your pack is by putting it in something that's insulated so packing a thermos in the winter time is really smart whether it's for a hot beverage like coffee or if you just want to bring some water with you which is a really important thing if you're going to be out adventuring around in this uh in this snow that we've got all over the country and i think you should be because it's a great time of year to get out and about you know this is both a comfort and a safety thing if you want to get something from Stanley, which I encourage you to do, you can use the discount code 6RANCH. That's the number 6 in the word ranch, and that'll get you 25% off of just about anything on their website. I encourage you to do that. They're great supporters of the show and uh, great supporters of this audience, and I love you guys. So stay warm out there, have a nice warm drink, and uh, make sure you're drinking it out of a Stanley product. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch podcast. I'll catch you next week.